Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making him known. Good to see everyone this morning. There was this uh, little girl, she was in the fourth grade. And she and her teacher were having a little discussion about whales. And uh, at one point, the little girl said, well, you know, I learned in Sunday school that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And uh, the teacher says, is that so? And uh, the teacher said, well, I just want you to know that's scientifically not possible. Uh, Even though a whale is a very large mammal, it has actually a very small throat. So it's physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human being. And the little girl was unmoved. She said, well... I don't know about that. All I know is that uh, the Bible says that uh, Jonah was swallowed by a whale, and that's good enough for me. And the teacher got a little more irritated. She said, again, scientifically, you need to understand that that's just not possible. And so I don't know about what the Bible has to say, but I can tell you Jonah was not swallowed by a whale. And uh, so the, the, the girl said, well, I'll tell you what. When I die and I go to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah if he was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? And the little girl said, well, then I guess you'll have to ask him. (laughs) So my guess is, is that, that that little girl may very well be a preacher someday. May not make a lot of money, but she may be a preacher someday. Well, this morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians, and I've entitled the message this morning, Diffusing Disharmony. Diffusing Disharmony. Lord, I just thank you for the gift of humor. I thank you for our worship team, Lord. Uh, Thank you for Pat and the band, Lord. They just, uh, just blessed us this morning, and I'm so thankful, Lord, that they would give you all the glory. I know that because it's the Holy Spirit working through them. and So uh, now, Lord, as we come to your word, it's an important word because it's something that all of us deal with, and that's conflict. And so I just ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, that I would truly speak your words, and it would not be the opinion of a man. We don't need the opinion of a man. We need a word from you. And so I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you will even come in greater measure now, greater measure that you will give us soft hearts to receive ears to hear and that we would walk out of here different than when we came in. And, and Lord, I do pray that 
really this morning, there'll be real healing and reconciliation in some relationships this morning. And so I'm just giving you the praise in advance and thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Conflict. I think it's something that we've all experienced, isn't it? It's something that we're all familiar with. And if you're like me, conflict is not a fun thing. But I want you to know that the early church experienced conflict. In fact, our scriptures are about that this morning. And it says in Philippians chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3 this. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntaki to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So here we have two people, in this case two women, in the church, in Philippi, and they're not getting along. And uh, shocking, isn't it? I wish I could actually say that it's shocking, but conflict just seems to be kind of a way of life. In fact, someone said there are two certainties in life. Those two certainties, of course, are death and taxes. I would like to say that there's a third certainty in life, and that third certainty would be that you can count on conflict occurring in your life, and so can I. You know, someone once compared human beings to a porcupine. Now, porcupines are not considered lovable creatures. And guess what? Neither are we. (laughs) We are not lovable creatures. That's the truth. Now, as a general rule, a porcupine has two methods for handling relationships. Flight or fight. In other words, either they go up a tree or towards a tree, or they stick their quills out. Now, as I understand it, porcupines generally travel alone. But porcupines don't always want to be alone. For example, late in autumn, a young porcupine's thoughts turns towards love. Love, though, can be a very dangerous thing for the male porcupine in particular. Females are generally only open to dinner and a movie one time a year. And that window closes rather rapidly. And as I understand it, in the, in, in, in the animal world, the female porcupine no is one of the most respected turndowns in the entire animal kingdom. So the male porcupine's dilemma is this. How do I get close without getting hurt? Now, there may be some males here this morning who can identify with those poor male porcupines. But the reality is every single one of us here, being a human being, has asked that question. How do I get close to my fellow human being, right, without getting hurt? My guess is most of us can think of a few prickly porcupines in our lives, can't we? But the problem isn't just them. Have you ever considered that you're someone else's porcupine? I don't hear an amen on that at all. Have you ever considered that you are someone else's porcupine? Because you are, and so am I. And that's why conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. Conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. And Paul is telling us this morning that there's two women in Philippi and they are in conflict and he does not want it to escalate to the point of combat because when that happens, you get a lot of collateral 
damages. So in the verses that we looked at in Philippians chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3, he's going to give us some instruction now as to how to deal with conflict in our lives. But the first thing that you need to note is Yodia and Syntaki, they are believers. They are believers. So in other words, the instruction he's giving is not for two unbelievers. He's not even giving instruction for a believer and a non-believer. The instruction he's giving this morning is for two believers. And you say, well, how do you know that? I know that because he says that their names are written in the book of life. Their names are written in the book of life. Have you ever wondered if your name's written in the book of life? You know, one of my favorite books, of course, is the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation does, in fact, talk about the book of life. So I'd just like to quickly look at that in Revelation chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, you can certainly turn there. We're told this in Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 11. He says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. You know, I read that and I don't know about you. I can see it in my mind's eye and it just terrifies me just to think of that picture. The creator of the universe sitting on his throne. Earth and sky fled from his presence. You know why they fled from his presence? Because ultimately nothing can stand in the presence of a holy God. It says that there was no place for him. And I saw the dead, great and small. Can you imagine? You know, death is the great equalizer. Whether you're President Trump or you're a construction worker or you live in India and make $2 a day. Did you see that? It says that, that, you know, it it, it says that the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Everybody's going to stand before that throne. And it says, and the books were opened. That's intrigued me. And the books, plural, were open. There's at least three books there. You know what those books are? Let me give them to you. First of all, there's the book of deeds. Did you know that there's a book on you? There's a book on me? The book of deeds. Everything that you've ever done is recorded in that book. Just think about it. From the moment you were born, everything that you've ever done is recorded in that book. Then there's the book of words. Well, that's pretty exciting. Every word, every word that Frank Ray has spoken has been recorded. How would you like your words replayed back? Not only the book of words, how about this one, the book of thoughts? Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh. <laughs> you know, every thought you've ever thought, every thought that I've ever thought has been recorded. And it says this, and the books were opened. Ooh. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Wow. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each person was judged according to what he or she had done. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Now watch this. Verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, here's what I believe about the book of life, though. I believe, actually, that everyone's name starts out written in the book of life. Did you know that? I I believe I can actually defend that. In the book of Exodus, chapter 32, we see Moses the Magnificent. Moses the Magnificent is on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. And below, the Israelites are messing up royally. 
And we pick up the story, Exodus chapter 32, starting at verse 30. It says this. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement or payment for your sin. So Moses the Magnificent went back to the Lord. He said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. Now watch this, verse 32. But if not, then blot me out of the book with which you have written. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is is leadership. Moses isn't pointing the finger at anyone. He realizes as a leader, the buck stops with him. How many here want to be a leader? I'm sorry, you see a poor example of leadership in America today because the moment anything goes wrong... We begin finger pointing. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. And they begin to point to people underneath them. Moses understood a strong principle of leadership. If you want to be a leader, the buck stops with you. You and I are responsible if you want to be a leader. And Moses is doing the ultimate thing. He's willing to take the consequences for the the sins of the people. But look what Jesus or the Lord says in verse 33. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. The clear inference is this, that every single name starts out in the book of life. But because of what you or I do, the decisions that we make, the actions that we do, our name can be blotted out. Have you ever thought about that? So you say, well, how can I make sure that my name won't be blotted out of the book of life? There's only one way. Isaiah said, though your sins be as scarlet, though your sins be as scarlet, I can make them as white as snow. See, now you understand why I say the cross is so important. Now you understand why Paul says, I only boast in the cross because it's in the cross in the blood of Jesus Christ that my sins become white as snow. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you, now may be the time for you to do it. Now may be the moment for you to do that because that's the only way that your name will not be blotted out of the book of life is by having your sins atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. All right, so Paul's going to move on. We're dealing with believers, and he's going to now give some instruction for believers as to how to deal, you know, in very practical ways with conflict. He says this in verse, chapter 4, verse 2. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree, to agree. You know what the Greek word for agree means? It means to be in harmony. He's asking Yodia and Sintaki to be in harmony. The, the picture being drawn here, or let me give you an illustration, would be two concert pianists. Here you're going to see two concert pianists. Now, the, these people are at the top of their game. I mean, these people are very good at playing the piano. But let's say, as they get together, one of the concert pianists decides to play Mozart Piano Concerto Number no. 21 in C minor, and the other concert pianist plays Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 3 in G major. Now, I don't know if those are real pieces or not, but it sounded impressive, didn't it? No, no, they're actually, they're actually pieces. So imagine here you have two instruments that are at the top of their game. They're magnificent, but they each begin to play different pieces. What's going to happen? Are you going to have beautiful music? No, what you're going to have is noise. You're going to have a musical mess. And so what... Paul is saying to Yodi and Sataki, he said, you're believers, you're beautiful instruments in the hands of the Lord. I want you to begin to play the same song together. Now, I don't know. I do not know what the conflict was between Yodia and Sintaki. But one thing I do know is it wasn't a doctrinal problem. If it was a doctrinal problem, Paul could have solved it in a New York minute. 
He could have just written a letter to him and said, here's what the particular doctrine ought to say, and here's what it means. But that wasn't the problem. It wasn't as simple as that. You see, I think Yodia and Syntaki were having a power struggle. I think it was about ego. I think about who gets their way. In fact, the vast majority of conflicts are about power, about control, who gets their way. And, you know, it's, it's as early as the disciples. I mean, this isn't something new. We see a power struggle, in fact, with Jesus' disciples. In Luke chapter 22, there, there is a scene that just blows my mind. Jesus has just celebrated the Last Supper. And he tells the disciples, now can you imagine, it's a pregnant moment. And he says to the disciples, I want you to know one of you has betrayed me. One of you has betrayed me. So what is the response of the disciples to this incredible moment? Well, we see it. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be or who would do this. All right, I could understand that, but now watch this. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. Can you believe that? They begin to have an argument about which one of them will be greater in the kingdom of God. I mean, here's Jesus. He's pouring out his heart. It's an intimate moment. And these guys are arguing about which one will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. They're having a power struggle. And by the way, don't think that's not in your heart and my heart. You know, each one of us, if we're honest, has in our heart, we want our own way. We each have an ego. We have a desire at points to control. And I believe that this is really what Yodia and Sintaki were having. I think they were having a tremendous power struggle in, in, in their lives between the two of them. And it, it was really beginning to get to the point where it was going to explode. So, how do you handle this? Well, let's go back to the porcupines for a moment. You know, the porcupines do actually get together. Did you know that? Porcupines do get together. You know how I know that? There's little baby porcupines. So they must be able to get together. And you know how they get together? How does a male and female porcupine get together? They stick in their quills, right? So the question has to become, how do you and I stick in our quills so that we can resolve our conflict? And Paul's going to give us the key now. He is going to give us the key for sticking in our quills He says, I plead with Yodia and Sitaki to agree with each other in the Lord. Lord. Those three words are critical. The way you stick in your quills as believers is that we must be in the Lord. You say, well, what does it mean to be in the Lord? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, it means this. It means that you focus on you first. It means that you and I focus on ourselves first. A good example, this is in Matthew in chapter 7. In Matthew in chapter 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us these instructions. He says, verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, those are the most misused verses I have ever seen. Don't you judge me. Don't you judge me. Bible says don't judge. And what we mean by that is don't hold me accountable. You can't tell me that what I'm doing isn't right. Who do you think you are to judge me? That's not what Jesus is saying here. The Greek word is krino. Krino means not to judge, but it means not to condemn. Jesus is saying that we're never to condemn anybody, but we are to discern. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 8 said to the woman 
who was caught in adultery and go and sin no more. We are to discern. In fact, you don't love somebody if you don't say to them and you see them doing something wrong and you don't say to them, you know, what you're doing is wrong. It's destructive. It's destroying you and it's going to destroy the people around you. So we are to discern. We are not to condemn, but we are to discern. Now watch this. For in the same way you judge others, now watch this, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When you stand before the King of Kings and the court, Lord of Lords, how do you want him to view you? How do you want him to judge you? I want him to judge me with love and mercy. Then we need to treat one another with love and mercy. Now watch this. He then says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Skip, can you put up the picture? That's pretty much how it works. See, I, no, no, we're marvelous. Think about it. We're marvelous at seeing the wrong in someone else's life. No, we're masters at it. And in the meantime, we have this, this is what Jesus said. He's saying, don't you see? You got more problems than Carter's got liver pills. You got to be kidding me. And now Jesus is saying, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. So Jesus isn't saying that there's not a speck in someone else's eye, but he's saying, have you looked at yourself first? So imagine you're in a conflict with someone. Maybe your wife, maybe your husband, maybe your children, maybe a close friend. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, when you get into a conflict, don't look at the other person first, because it's so easy to do that. What he's saying is, look at yourself first. Let me bring up two things in looking at yourself. You know what the first thing I look at, and you have to look at, is motive. What are my motives? What are my motives in this conflict? Is it really that I just want my own way? I mean, think about it. Is it sometimes that I just want to drub the person? Is it sometimes that my ego is at stake? Is it, 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 maybe what's at stake is I really want a certain thing and this person's not giving it to me. See, you have to look at your motive. I have to look at my motive. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's, that, that, that's the plank in my own eye. My motive. What's your motive? Secondly, think about a person you're in conflict with right now. How do you feel about them? Do you like them? Do you want them to burn in hell? No, come on. Do do you dislike them? Do you want to drill them? You see, if I can't honestly say that I love that person, that I really want the best for them, I'm in trouble. See, that's part of my motive. And see, too often we get in conflict with somebody that we want to drill. So before we, we need to end the conflict. We need, we need to break it off, and we need to get our hearts right and say, Lord, help me to love that person. Do you know, in fact, I will not get in conflict anymore with someone who I want to drill. Oh, and I understand it. I'm Italian. I, I, I get it. I, I get it big time. And sometimes people really get under my skin, and I want to drill them. And you know what? I have to get my heart right. You have to get your heart right. So the first step in pulling in our quills and being in the Lord is I have to look at myself. You have to look at yourself. You have to look at your mode. You have to look at how you feel about that person that you're in conflict with. Now let me give you a second thing. 
A second thing you need to look at is this. Have you sought? Have you sought what God wants? You know, I don't know what your conflict is about, but think about it. Have you thought about, have you sought, Lord, what do you want? What is your will in this conflict? See, very rarely, in fact, when I deal with people and I do lots of counseling, very rarely have I heard someone say, you know, I was praying and I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want? What is your will? And so often it's what I want. It's my glory. It's what I want. It's not what God wants and it's not about his glory. Now, you take those two things. Let me tell you, if you just take those two things that I've given you and I guarantee you, your conflicts will begin to have resolution. Now, sometimes, though, let's be truthful. Sometimes conflicts can get so heated. Have you ever been in an argument and it just gets so heated? And Paul said that we actually need a third party. Verse 3 of Philippians chapter 4, he says this. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You know, sometimes a conflict gets so heated, I'm so emotionally involved, I can't think straight. No, no, I, I, I can't pray, I can't hear the voice of the Lord, I'm just so into it, I'm just emotionally distraught. You ever been there? Sometimes we need a third party, and that's not a sign of weakness. No, no, that is a sign of wisdom. That is wisdom. And we need a loyal yoke fellow. We need a third party. You know what you're looking for here? A peacemaker. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. You know, when you get into a tension-filled situation like that, do not. I have seen such immature people say, well, I'm going to bring my friend along who's going to agree with me. No, no, that's not the third party you're looking for. That is not the third party. You are looking for a peacekeeper. I've been in the ministry now over 30 years, and I can almost count on one hand the number of peacekeepers I've met. You know why? You know what a peacekeeper is? I very rarely meet them. See, nobody knows, really. You know what a true peacekeeper is? A true peacekeeper is not for either side. They're for Jesus. See, I find it hard to be friends with anybody. You know why? Because my loyalty is with who? Susan used to get mad. She goes, he didn't take my side on that one. I said, I can't take your side on that one. I have to take Jesus' side on that one. No, I love my wife dearly. We, she used to get mad at me. She goes, you're not loyal to me. And I said, no, I'm, I'm loyal to Jesus. And you ought to thank your lucky stars that I'm loyal to Jesus. Because you know what? When you find a peacekeeper who's loyal to Jesus, guess what Jesus wants in a conflict? A lot. He wants both sides to win. Did you know that? Jesus loves both sides. See, that's the beauty of this thing. And you know what the first thing Jesus is going to challenge the peacekeeper to do when I have to play a peacekeeper? The first thing that he's going to challenge is I've got to sit there and go, now what's your, what's your part in the conflict and what's your part? See, I have very rarely seen in a conflict that's 100% all this person and 0% the other. Anybody ever seen a conflict like that? And maybe it's 90-10, maybe it's 80-20, maybe it's 70-30, but we always have a part in the conflict. And so, see, I have to ask, what is your part and what is your part? And the funny thing is when each side begins to admit their part 
and then they begin to forgive one another, which, by the way, only two believers can really do, then you get reconciliation. And you know what reconciliation leads to? Then you can have resolution. But you'll never have resolution until you have reconciliation. Well, let me challenge us. You know, as I was reading verses 2 and 3, consider Yodia and Syntaki. The letters of Paul, Philippians, have been now been read for 2,000 years. And if you ask somebody, what do you know about Yodia and Syntaki? What are they going to say? Oh, those are two people who couldn't get along. Is that how you want to be remembered? I mean, think about it. One statement sums up your life. Would you like someone to sum up your life? Say, oh, you're the person that was a hothead. You couldn't get along with anybody. Seriously. I, I mean, I thought about that question. How would I like to be remembered? If, I mean, if, I, if, if my life was to be summed up in one statement, how would it be summed up? By the way, if you were to die right now and your life was to be summed up, how do you think it would be summed up? Well, it's kind of an interesting story. It's a true story. Alfred Noble, you might not remember him. The name might sound minorly familiar to you, but in Alfred Noble in 1867, he discovered or invented a high explosive and he called it dynamite. Dynamite. You know, interesting, when he, when he developed dynamite, he actually thought it would end wars. He said, this thing is so powerful, so destructive, so horrifying, people are no longer going to want to go to war. You know what he couldn't believe? It flew off the shelves. People were finding ways to use dynamite. He became extremely wealthy, extremely rich. One day, Alfred Noble was reading the newspaper. His eyes fell upon the obituary section, and to his shock and dismay, he read his obituary in the paper. It read, Alfred Noble, the inventor of dynamite who died yesterday, devised a way for more people to be killed in a war than ever before. He died a very rich man. (laughs) The paper made a mistake. It was his brother who died. But Noble read that. He was so horrified that that's how he was going to be remembered. I mean, it's made such an imprint on me. He said, I can't, I got to change this. I've got to change this. So you know what Noble did? He instituted what's become known as the Nobel Peace Prize. That's how it got started. And here's what Noble said. I love it. Noble said this. Listen to what he he had to say. He said, Every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. Every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. You know what? I don't know what would happen I don't know what people would write about you right now. But you know what? Every one of us, we're still alive, so guess what? I can change it. You can change it. I can change it, and you can change it. Do not have the epitaph of Yodi and Sintaki. Two people who couldn't get along. My challenge to you is think about what you want written about you. You've got the chance now. You've got the chance now. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Conflict 
It's so destructive. Sometimes it's more destructive than dynamite, really. And Lord, I I pray we take to heart, take to heart that we should be living in harmony as believers. And the only way we can live in harmony is if each one of us is in the Lord. When we function in the Lord, suddenly the conflict dissipates. Because so much of our conflicts are about what we want. It's about us being on top. It's about us being in control. It's about us having our way. And so often when we put it in the Lord, we find out the Lord says, it's okay, let them have their way. It's okay. Because what's more important is that there's harmony and unity. I pray that for each one of my brothers and sisters. Oh, it's so much, there's so much greater life when we're living in harmony with the Lord and in harmony with one another. That's what makes life worth living. That's the abundant life when we're having dynamic, intimate, personal, joyous relationships. And I pray that for each person here. But it starts with, is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? Because that's the only way I can be in the Lord. As we sing this last song, Holy Spirit, just have your way with each one of us now. I ask for this in your precious name. Amen.